Well, today and the days ahead on Sundays during this Lenten season, we're going to be reflecting deeply upon our religion and about the relationship between God and us and we and those around us. One of the words, or the word, that describes that relationship between us and God is covenant. Very important and profound word. It's a word to use to describe this relationship, and it's important we understand it just a little bit more today. It's a binding agreement before God and before his chosen ones. It's not a contract. It's not a handshake or a pledge. It's a vow. God, with this deep, deep love, vowing that he will be with us, stay with us, and when we experience those moments of covenant, uh, that's so much deeper than normal conversation or normal agreements. They're life-changing, life-changing. Years ago, when uh, young couples came in to get married and was not a, very common in those days that they would really want to get into planning their wedding, that's more the guys than the gals. But they would, they would say, oh, Father, you just pick out the readings. And they said, no, you got to do that. And they said, oh, Father, you'll know which ones to pick out. I said, okay, I want to tell you a little story. If I pick this reading, this is what will be at your wedding. When you exchange your covenantial vows, many of the covenants, covenants in the Old Testament days kind of modeled themselves on the covenant between ancient kings. And the kings would make an agreement. They'd decide, we will never go to war again. We will always be partners. We will always get along with each other. And if they agreed on that, then they would ask some servants, go and get a couple of oxen and four or five sheep and maybe some doves and put them in a row and split them in half. Oh, yuck. And then the kings, when the halves of the animals are there and the blood and the guts and all that stuff is there, the kings would take their hands like this and they would walk through slush. They would walk through the blood and the guts. And what they're saying by that, the sign of the covenant, if we ever break this bond, May this happen to us. How profound, how deep the commitments were in those days, the covenants, and even more deeply, the covenant between God and humankind. God will never again. Oh, today, uh, what we listen to is the covenant made between God and Noah. We don't hear the whole story of Noah and the ark. But after Noah and his family had come out of the ark and all of the animals, God conversed with Noah and they made this ancient, ancient covenant. God said, and this was the sign of the covenant with Noah, I will never again destroy humankind and all of the sinful ones of the earth. Never again. The sign of the covenant was this magnificent rainbow. Glorious rainbow. 
Last time I saw a rainbow like that, it was right after I, uh, the wedding rehearsal between my goddaughter Delaney and her husband-to-be Tyler. It was over at St. Ludmilla's, and drove over to Tyler's parents' house afterwards, and it was, as I was approaching, the most magnificent rainbow I think I ever saw. Filled the sky, bright, clear colors. That was the rainbow that described the, the celebration of the covenant between God and Noah. Gave me something to talk about the next day when I talked to Delaney and Tyler about the vows they made, the covenant they made between each other. In the covenants described in the scripture, God is always the faithful one, the one who keeps the promise, or the one who stands firm. But throughout our history of religion or of spirituality, it's humankind are the one that kind of messes up. They're the ones that aren't faithful. They're the ones that are wayward. They're the ones that are lost. And time and time and time again, God comes back to them, accepts them, supports them, and leads them into a new and deeper relationship and another covenant might come along. Well, in the gospel passage today, we listen to Mark's rendition of the temptation in the desert. But it's interesting, Mark's very different than uh, Matthew and Luke. Mark doesn't tell anything about what happened in the desert. All he says, Jesus was driven into the desert by the Spirit. He was tested there, and he was taken care of by the angels. We need to kind of remember that this short passage from Mark happens right after he tells us that Jesus was baptized. He was baptized. He came out of the water and was driven into the desert by the Spirit. So what happened in the desert? We can kind of remember about the things from Matthew and Luke. Well, we learn that the desert is a place of transformation. Transformation. Uh, a person leaves the desert changed, a different person, and Jesus went into this desert where these things happened, I believe. It was a time of deep self-reflection on his part. He pondered deeply his role, his mission. He had 30 years to think about it, didn't he? And 30 years to kind of listen to what people were saying about him and all those kinds of things. 30 years to really, truly come to this moment where he figured it out. It was a time where he prepared to enter into his public ministry. We're told that he was in the desert for 40 years, and 40 years is kind of important. Can you remember other places in the scripture where 40 years is mentioned? Well, in the Old Testament, the, the people of Israel, they wandered for 40 years in the desert after they were freed fr from uh, bondage. They were a people then that were transformed. They came out of the desert 
changed. All of the people that went into the desert, save Aaron and Moses, all of the people that went into the desert died. And those that gathered at the Jordan, ready to once again pass over through the water, those were the chosen people. They passed through the sea, they were fed by water in the rock, and now they're ready to go across the river, and there is a new covenant between God and God's people. Jesus spent his 40 days right after he was baptized to prepare, to understand, uh, to make himself ready for his public ministry. And when he steps out, this is the key to his life. He came to proclaim that the kingdom of God was at hand. The most important thing we can possibly remember so my, my friends, our Lent this year, 40 days again, 40 years in the desert, 40 years for Jesus in the desert, 40 days for us to be driven into the season of Lent. For us, it's a time to remember our baptism and what it truly meant. It's time for us to pray more deeply, a time to reflect about our lives more clearly to ask, what is my life truly, really all about? Uh, what, is, what, what is the meaning of my life? Am I headed in the right direction? Are there things that prevent me from truly living the freedom of my baptism? Do I need to be in this desert? Do I need to be transformed? Serious stuff, my friends. So our Lenten desert is not like uh, barren sand and heat. Our Lenten desert is this. Our Lenten desert is our busy and hectic life these days. Our life-consuming schedules. Our life where we have confused some of our priorities. Our life where we have given in to temptation a life when there is sometimes an absence of prayer, a life where there is misunderstanding of what love is, sometimes a life that is the result of fractured relationships. This is our desert. This is our desert when we are forced into it that we confront all of the temptations of the devil that are awaiting us. My friends, in baptism, we were plunged. Didn't touch our toes to see it was cold. We were plunged into the mystery of Jesus' death and resurrection. We are told in the desert that we must die to ourselves. We're driven into the desert to be reborn, to enter into a new covenant. So Lent is that time that we are renewed and restored and reborn again and again and again every year into this new covenant of God's great love for us. Our lives then, after Lent, when we come out of it, should be different. All we say after, that, after Lent, everything we do 
must reflect that in our lives, our relationships, everything about us, that we go about proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand.